Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is Kelly Ward, and this is another episode of the Liberty from Captivity podcast. Uh, This is episode number three. Today is Monday, April 26, 2021. And the title of this show is Deliverance Basic Series Part 2, and I'm calling this one Open Doors. And I know it might be a little bit confusing that this is Episode 3, but this is Part 2 of the series because this this first part of this series is meant to be just to cover some of the basics. And then when I transition away from the, the Deliverance Basics, then I plan on going into more of the more of the advanced topics or the more of the very specific things and those probably won't be so much of a series as this one is. I have been away for quite a few months from recording podcasts. I have been dealing with some health issues that have really stopped me, but I have felt very impressed by the Lord uh, even though I still am dealing with some of that to to keep going and I know that he is going to heal me of this and so I'm just trying to be obedient. And it's really been on my heart to really get this material out there to people. Uh, There are a lot of people out there who don't have a lot of practical teaching on deliverance. Of course, I know that there's a lot of information out there, but my goal is to put this in podcast format so that you can listen to it, especially if you do better with listening than you do uh, reading. So what I want to do is to give a quick recap from episode two. And just go over that real quick, and I won't belabor the point, but deliverance is still for today, even though, unfortunately, it's not practiced in most churches. Uh, but the devil has has made sure to try to be hidden, to try to make sure that, that people don't know about him or how to do uh, warfare against him. Again, the deliverance is a process, and I use the analogy of painting a house, and that requires preparation, and in that analogy with painting a house basically or painting like the inside of a house or the outside for that matter really the preparation is probably about 80 percent and then then there's the 20 percent which is the actual painting applying paint to the walls and so on also there are some basic and fundamental steps that need to occur prior to going into battle as we discussed one of them being salvation you need to be saved in order for it to be successful I think I discussed the seven sons of Sceva. Uh, that's a really good example. I believe that's from the book of Acts. And they were not saved, and the demons attacked them. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus, nor did they have any authority because, because of that. Uh, the second one is repentance. And I would also add forgiveness in there as well. But repentance basically is breaking the legal rights for the demons to be in your life. The third one is willingness to get free and to stay free. This is a fight. You have to be willing to fight, and you have to fight not only to get free, but you have to fight to stay free. And it will always be a battle. Even though you may not be called to deliverance, you have to understand that you still have to fight. And God has given us everything in His Word uh, to be able to do that. He's given us the basic information to do that. And so... You'll always be in a battle until the day that you go home. And the last one, and the, and really this is probably not an exhaustive list, but this is just a, a basic summary. And the last one, uh, number four, is practicing holiness and righteousness. Uh, you have to be obedient to God's word because anytime you obey God, obviously there's blessings, but it also keeps the doors closed to the enemy. So again, this, is, this show is about open doors, and I want to... Uh, I want to talk to you at length about this, and and this show may go a little bit long. I don't know how long it will be because I haven't practiced it yet. Uh, But if it goes too long, then I may just divide it up into into two shows. So I plan to include an attachment in the uh, post on the website. Uh, This will kind of be like a visual aid to help you to understand the show better. I do have, uh, I think, about three figures that I want to go over and and I haven't I, I'm I'm new to the podcasting and I'm new to uh, posting things on a blog and so on. So I hope to find a way to put an attachment out there. I, I don't know exactly how to do it, but I plan on figuring out after the show. So please go to the blog uh, to uh, to look up this episode again. It's episode number three, 
and go find that uh, go go find that attachment and and if you can follow along that would make it so much easier for you to understand. So as mentioned in the two previous podcasts, in deliverance circles, a legal right is basically an unrepentant sin that gives the demons a legal right to inhabit the body that they are oppressing or oppressing you, or they can be outside of your body. Those legal rights are very, very, very important to understand because you have to know what sin is. And and, and I'm not saying that to be sin conscious, but it's kind of like understanding the rules to a game. If you don't really understand the rules, like football, for example, if you commit a foul of some sort, then you you get penalized for it. And I'm not saying that God necessarily penalizes us for those things, but when you give a foothold to the devil, the devil wants to come in and beat you up. And so obviously we don't want that to happen. So again, the key to breaking any kind of illegal right or sin is is repentance. And I've said this before and I'll say it again, that deliverance is a repentance-based ministry. It is probably one of the most fundamental things that you will ever do in order to get free. So with that stated, let's talk about some of the common door openers that you should be aware of. Now, this list that I am about to cover is not an exhaustive list by any means. These are just some of the bigger, more obvious things that I want to that I want to bring up to you. And obviously the first one, number one, is not being saved. The next one is unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment. And this one is, besides not being saved, is probably the second biggest one. Anytime you deal with Christians who need to go through deliverance, this is probably the single biggest thing that you that you really need to cover. It is the most foundational. So it's very important for you to give others. And it's also important to forgive yourself. And that's something sometimes uh, people overlook. You should forgive yourself. Uh, you know, if, if you don't forgive yourself, then you're kind of saying basically that what Jesus did on the cross isn't good enough. Jesus never meant for you to have unforgiveness towards yourself. I forget exactly where it is, but there is a verse uh, that says where Jesus was talking, I believe it's somewhere in the book of Matthew, where he was talking about to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. So you have to love God. That's a given, right? And you love him above uh, all else. But then you love your neighbor, right? And sometimes I think people miss the part where it says to love your neighbor as yourself. So you need to love yourself too. That's included in all of those. And if you love yourself, you really need to forgive yourself because not loving yourself, and and I I hope to maybe do a podcast on that somewhere down the line about uh, the unloving spirit because that's something that I am very familiar with in my own life. That is one that you really want to get rid of. The next one uh, would be witchcraft, occultism, secret societies, false religions, yoga. There are a lot of Christians doing yoga, and I don't want to go into a long diatribe about that. Uh, Maybe I can cover that in a future show, but just really quickly, basically the poses that you you do, if you do practice yoga, the, the poses that you do are prayers to a false god, and that opens you up to demonic oppression. And I'm going to have to do a lot more studying about it to be able to prepare for something like that. But that's the very basic of how I understand it. There's nothing wrong with doing basic stretches, though. Uh, The next one would be drugs, alcohol, any kind of addiction. Trauma would be another one. And trauma is is, is another one that is often overlooked. Maybe you were traumatized as a child. Maybe somebody traumatized you, a, a relative, a friend. Maybe you got into an accident or something. The trauma doors is one that really needs to be closed, and that's uh, something that you need to look for in deliverance with your own life and uh, and with others. The next one would be ungodly soul ties. It talks about in First Samuel eighteen one where where Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David, and they were best friends. And so you can have godly soul ties, and of course in Ephesians six four twenty seven. That talks about an ungodly soul tie where if you are if you are joined to a harlot, so so you can have godly and ungodly ones, and the ungodly ones are the ones that you want to get rid of. 
And soul ties is another topic that I plan on covering in a future episode. It probably will be covered uh, in this basic uh, series because that is very, very important. Another one would be curses and generational curses, rejection, rebellion, sexual sins like fornication, uh, adultery, incest, and also sexual abuse. Even though maybe you weren't, even though maybe you were abused. The enemy is going to use that against you. Even though it wasn't your fault, the enemy doesn't fight fair, and we know that. Another one would be fear, worry, stress, anxiety. Another one would be pride, and pride is something, uh, and I've I've seen spiritual pride before. Even though you may go to church, even though you may have friends at church, uh, pride and spiritual pride are, are door openers that need to be closed as well. Lying would be another one. Stealing that this now this is one that's kind of not so obvious. You know, people might think, well, I don't steal. I don't go to the store and take things that aren't mine. But I would also include robbing God of tithes and offerings. That is really important. Now, a lot of people say, well, yeah, but that's Old Testament. I've heard it said before regarding the Old Testament, uh, and I forget who it was that said this, so you'll have to forgive me. But there was somebody that said that it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And I realize that we are not under the law. But if you think about it, there is a lot of the Old Testament that is quoted and and repeated in the New Testament. I believe right now that I'm in the book of, uh, I think it's either Acts or Romans. I don't remember which one. I think it's, no, it's Romans. And when you really read that, I mean, Paul really uses a lot of the Old Testament scriptures that he quotes in the New Testament. So if you want to say that we that the Old Testament is not for today, well, then you have to remove all of the Old Testament scriptures out of the New Testament. And I don't think that's right. Those things are there to learn from. And I do believe that tithes and offerings, uh, giving your tithes and offerings to God is something that God wants us to do. And I can tell you in my own life, as I have given faithfully, I have lacked for nothing. And I know as I have ministered to others as well, one of the things that I ask them, especially if they are struggling with finances, is have you given in your tithes and offerings? Because it does say in, in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 11, it talks about how that if you will give your tithes and offerings to God, that he will rebuke the devourer for our sakes. The devourer is a spirit. So if you disobey God by keeping what's really his, then he has no choice but to let that spirit attack you. And he wants you to be free from that. So I'm telling you this because I want you to be free just like I've been free from this. And again, I have lacked for nothing. God has prospered me more than I could ever imagine. Another one would be idolatry. I believe it says in Isaiah chapter 44, verses 17 through 18, it talks about how if you are in idolatry, that God will shut your eyes. And that is very important because you can be in idolatry and not know it. That is a very scary place to be. And another one would be dishonoring your parents. Okay, so those are just a list of, of door openers. And that those this list should be included in the file that I plan on posting in the blog that has the, the, the figures in it. And there, there are some verses that go with some of these, but not all of them. So that should be at the, the very, basically the very top of the file. Okay. Now that we have established what open doors are and what some of the more common ones are, let's do a deep dive in, into how this works spiritually. I want to give you two different ways that this works uh, so that we can really uh, drive this home. And I know this is probably going to be in-depth. I tend to be a a very in-depth person. I tend to be analytical. And I think it's important for, for you to understand this because there are a lot of Christians that might say, well, Christians can't have demons. Well, I want to show you by Scripture and and by some examples through some of these figures that that is not true. And I can tell you, I have seen Christians manifest demons before. I know these people are saved. And so you have to understand kind of the dynamics that are going on there to really get uh, to, to really, to really get this. When I say that a Christian can have demons, 
I'm not trying to say that a Christian is necessarily possessed. I don't think a Christian can be possessed, but they can be oppressed by demons. Now, somebody who is unsaved, who doesn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their spirit man, obviously, you know, they're, they're fair game to the enemy. And I do believe that they can actually be possessed by a demon. So when I say, if I say, if I use the, the phraseology, a Christian having demons or a Christian can have demons or oppression, I'm basically saying all basically the same thing. Okay, so let's start with the first method that I want to discuss uh, that I want to discuss here, and this comes from Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45, and this is Jesus talking. And it says, when an unclean, and by the way, I'm using the modern English version, and it reads very much like a new King James. Uh, some of the, the, the uh, words are kind of a little bit more modernized. I tend to like the, the King James, new King James, uh, MEV. Uh, not that the other ones are bad, but it's just kind of my personal preference. So most of these verses probably will be in the MEV, but it, it should read very similar to a new King James. It's, he says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through dry places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with itself seven other spirits more wicked than itself, or more evil than itself. And then they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first so shall it be also with this evil generation. Okay, let's break this down just a little bit and have a closer look at it. Jesus starts by saying, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man. Well, if a demon goes out of a man, then obviously it had to be in the man in order to come out, right? Okay, then he goes on to say, then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. Now, here is a reference to our body being like a house. So think about it. You have a house that has doors, it has windows. You have a lock on your door. And so a house is a place uh, for you to live, right? Going on. Then it goes and brings with itself seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. So again, the demons come in and they go into the house and they dwell there. They enter and dwell. This means that they are inside the house. Now, I do want to, I do want to make I, I, just a quick note here from this passage. It says, And when it comes and finds it empty, swept, and put in order, then it goes and brings with itself seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there in the last state of that man is worse than the first, so shall it also be with this evil generation. So let's think about this just a moment. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry if I'm being, uh, if I'm repeating this too much, but I think this is very important to understand. An unsaved person does not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So because of that, their own spirit is open to oppression and possession. Okay. So an unsaved person does not, for example, does not have, they, they don't have the weapons of warfare like the whole armor of God that's talked about in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, especially the sword of the Spirit. They don't have praise. For example, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 21 through 23, this was during Jehoshaphat's reign and um, over the tribe of Judah. And the Ammonites and the Moabites fought against the uh, Muonites because God confused them and they were defeated. So, so they used praise in order to accomplish that. Also, an unbeliever does not know their authority, like it says in Luke 10.19. And authority is probably going to be another show that I do in the future uh, because you do need to understand your authority and uh, but basically jesus took the authority back and he gave it to us because of the finished work of of the cross so an unsaved person does not have that authority because they don't have a relationship with god so what all of this means is that 
I generally do not recommend you to minister deliverance to an unsafe person. In fact, the only people that I have ever ministered to have been Christians. The caveat to that is, obviously, you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Because I can't just make a blanket statement, okay, don't ever minister to uh, somebody who's not saved. Uh, because there is an incident that uh, uh, like that that happened uh, in the book of Acts, Acts uh, chapter 16, 16 through 18, where Paul cast a demon out of the fortune teller. And so she was following them around, kind of harassing them. This was the, the woman that had the spirit of divination. And eventually Paul was, was troubled and he turned around and said to the, the girl, uh, uh, to the demon in the girl in verse 18, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out. So it can happen, but I would generally recommend not to. But you have to be led by the Holy Spirit, okay? I know that was a little bit lengthy, but going back to the analogy of the house that Jesus described, I also want to kind of take that and shift that to our body being the temple, because in the in the Bible, there are many places where our body is referred to as a temple. So let's so let's let's kind of shift from the focus from the house over to the temple. The body of a, of a Christian is defined as the temple of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. And I will go ahead and just read those. So the first one is, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and you are his temple." 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God, and that you are not your own? So let's look at this uh, a little bit more closely. What is the temple? Well, we know that God is a God of patterns. We see that all throughout the Bible. Um, You may see seven, like for example, seven days, 40 days, or three days, and the pattern that I want to talk about is three. In this case, for example, God, you might hear that God is a triune being, or he is a tripartite being, so he's made up of three parts, Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, right? Well, there's also three heavens. The first heaven is the earth, the second heaven is the atmosphere, and the third heaven is where God resides. And Paul spoke about the, uh, the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. And I won't really go into that because it's not really that important. But, but I, did, I just want to mention that just because it's, it's part of a pattern. So likewise, we as human beings are, uh, are a pattern ourselves. We have a spirit, soul, and the body. So let's relate that to the temple. So the temple or the tabernacle was made up of three parts uh, from the, from the Old Testament, and the temple and and you'll want to refer to the the attachment that is in the blog for this post, uh, and you and when you open that file, you can look at Figure One in that file, and so so this this temple is made up of the outer court or the outer courtyard the holy place, which is kind of like the inner court, and then the holy of holies, which is like the heart of the whole thing. So there's, there's three parts to, to that uh, Old Testament tabernacle. Well, this tabernacle is a picture of our being. And, uh, and, I, and I plan to break that down, but basically the outer court is representative of our flesh. So our flesh can be touched, seen, and felt. The holy place represents our soul. The soul is made up of our mind, will, and emotions. And the holy of holies represents our spirit. And our spirit is where the spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells uh, when we receive him at salvation. So the so Holy Spirit does not live in our soul or in our flesh. And our spirit is saved, but our soul and flesh are being saved. Uh, and that's, that's a whole other teaching that... But that's, that, it is important to understand 
because as our flesh and our soul are being saved, well, they, those things can be defiled. And they are susceptible to sin, disobedience, and so on when, when there is an open door. And if you look at figure two, there is a correlation there that, that, I, that I made with the, the tabernacle and the body comparison, and you can kind of see that. And so here's where I want to back this up biblically. So the temple can be defiled. And if you go look in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 14, this is the story of when Jesus, uh, in his righteous anger, threw out the money changers. Uh, this temple probably maybe looked a little bit different than the Old Testament tabernacle, but the basic premise is the same. Okay, so let me just read this to you. Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all of those who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. The blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So I just want to make just one small little note. The word drove out when, he's, when it says Jesus went into the temple of God and drove. That is the Greek word ekbalo, which, uh, which means to, uh, if you read it in the King James, for example, it says to cast out. It, that means to expel or to drive out. So Jesus went into the temple. Where were the money changers? Okay, so let's, let's, let's think about this just a minute. The money changers could not go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go in there. So they were not in that area. I, I believe that they were in the outer court area. And that, that outer court area represents the, the body. And that was the area of the temple that was defiled when Jesus cast them out. In the same way that Jesus cast out the money changers, we must also do the same, right? Think of it like this. We are driving the ites out of our land. When you read the Old Testament, it talks about all of the, all of the, all of the ites, so to speak, and, and they had to do battle against them. So here's the point. You cannot just pray away a demon. You can't medicate them out. You can't counsel them out. Willpower will not make them leave. All of these, all of these things basically are what I like to call demon management. Okay? Jesus never meant for us to manage demons. And we see a lot of that in churches. We see a lot of sick people in churches. They're trying so many different things to, to try to be free. Maybe they have a smoking addiction. Maybe they have an addiction to pornography. And they're doing things to manage those, like, for example, putting internet filters on their computer, having an accountability partner. And those are all good things. I think that there is a time and a place for those. But really, you are just managing demons. So it's important to point out, though, that repentance also does not force the demons to leave either. Now, obviously, important, uh, uh, repentance is a very important part of deliverance because you deal with the legal rights for them to be there. However, once the legal rights for them to reside have been broken, then we must command them to leave in Jesus' name. So just like Jesus went in, well, he drove them out. He, he got upset, obviously, in righteous anger, like I said, and he drove them out. We need to do the same, okay? And then there's that verse at the end of the book of Mark, I believe it is, where it says, uh, I believe it's Mark chapter 16, starting in verse uh, 15, 15 all the way through 18. And it says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Okay, see, there it is right there. Believers should be casting out demons, right? But you don't see very much of that. Going on, they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. What that means is we have to do something to make the demon leave. And I can go over that later. Right now, that's not really uh, germane to, to this, this conversation. So what does all this mean? What I'm trying to say is 
that if a Christian is under demonic oppression, it means that the demon is either inhabiting their soul or their flesh, but not the spirit of the Christian. It's, it's important to understand that, okay? So this does not mean that, the, that a Christian person is possessed, but rather oppressed, okay? Again, the Holy, the Holy Spirit possesses our spirit, that means he is the owner of us, okay? Jesus purchased us and redeemed us and bought us with a price, right? So the defilement of the temple involves the soul and the flesh. Those are the things, those are the parts of us that are being saved. So to take it a step further, uh, the mind, will, and emotions and the flesh is where the demons can uh, oppress a Christian, so one question that might be asked is, well, if a Christian can be demonically oppressed, then when did they get the, the demons? What happened? How, how is it that a Christian can have a demon? Well, I think there are several ways. One of them is what I like to call carryover demons, meaning that they were there pre-salvation. Okay, so let's talk about that just a moment. When you get saved you don't know anything about the sanctification process because sanctification is a process that God leads you through and it's something that will be ongoing until the day that you are called home. Now, salvation, though, is not automatic. You had to do something in order to be saved. And, and basically, it's a, it's a commandment. It's one of the commandments in the Bible. You have to believe. You have to believe in your heart and make a decision for Jesus to be the Lord of, and Savior of your life. Okay, so in other words, it's not automatic. You had to do something. The same can be said for deliverance. Deliverance is not automatic, although it can be. And I don't want to put God in a box, but that is very rare. So in other words, I have heard of a, of a person who at salvation, there were some demons that come out. And I, do, and I do think that some of the demons that maybe have a lesser hold on somebody, some of those may leave uh, a little bit easier. But by and large, that really does not happen. That's really more of the exception rather than the rule. Why? Because God gave us the answers in the Bible on how to deal with demons. He gave us the basic recipe. He gave us the authority to cast out demons. And again, that will be uh, in another podcast. But why would God do something for us that he gave us the recipe for? So... Again, I'm not saying that he can't or won't, but I'm just saying that is something that is extremely rare. Another possibility for a Christian to get demons is willful and habitual sins post-salvation. Does this mean that the person is unsaved at this point? Well, my opinion is that you are saved at salvation, but your condition of being saved uh, is at risk. If, uh, if unrepented, you do stand in judgment. And, I, and of course, God always gives us room to repent because of his love and his mercy and grace in our lives. He knows uh, that some, sometimes people will play you know, spiritual roulette with our salvation. I mean, I've done it, and you probably have too. We all probably have. And so if there is some other open uh, door there whether or not it was a carryover demon, so to speak, or it was post-salvation and you got into willful and habitual sins, whatever the case may be, the enemy will always take advantage of it. You can take that to the bank. Okay, so we have spent a lot of time uh, with the analogy of our body being a, a house uh, and a temple. So I just want to just summarize that really, really quickly because I know that that was a lot of material. And basically it is that, that our body, being three parts, body, soul, and spirit, corresponds to the, the temple, as we, as, we, as we talked about, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And we basically have made the uh, analogy that uh, the Holy Spirit inhabits your spirit, but the demons can inhabit your body and soul. Uh, so, in other words, uh, what that really means is, is that, yeah, you are, you are still saved, okay, even though you may have demons that are in your body or soul, okay? What we want to do is work on getting those things out. I want to also give you another perspective on how this works. 
and I want to kind of do a dive into the different parts of the human body. If you if you have uh, downloaded the, uh, the the file that I have put that I have posted, uh, this will be Figure Three. In Figure Three, you'll see the figure of a of a of a human body, and across the top, you will see. So you've probably heard of like the eye gate, like you know things come in through your eyes. Well. There's other gates. There's the nose gate, the mouth gate, the skin gate, and the ear gate. And then I, I put inside the body there uh, the mind, the conscience, the spirit, the soul, and the body. And I want to talk about each one of those uh, very specifically. So let's start with the mind. Uh, the Greek word is nous, N-O-U-S. And an example of this word is used in Romans chapter 7, verses 22 through 23. For I delight in the law of God according to the inner man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. So there's the word mind, nous, and bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. Okay, so that word nous means mind or way of thinking. Think of your mind as like the rudder, like a ship. A ship has a rudder at the back, and it's a very, very small uh, piece of, of, of metal. And that, that little rudder is what's responsible for moving the whole entire ship. So your mind is the rudder of, of the ship. And your mind is what processes the things that come in through your gates. So we talked about the eye gate, the ear gate, the nose gate, the mouth gate, and the skin gate. So it processes all of those things. So information comes in through all of those senses and gets processed in the mind and stored in the brain. So just for example, a first grader might see and learn that one plus one equals two. So you see it, you process it, and you store it. So let's think about how the devil might use this against you. Perhaps maybe you saw pornography for the first time. So that comes in through your eyes and it gets stored in the brain. You can replay it over and over again. And your body responds and says, hey, I want to see that again. And then what happens then is that that opens the door to get those less demons. Or another example would be your, through through your ear gates, or for example, maybe you had somebody, uh, like a parent, for example, speak over you like something negative, something that's not true, like you'll never amount to anything, you're no good, you're a piece of trash, you know. That gets, again, that gets stored in your mind, and it has an effect on your body, and that opens the door to, to demons, because when you start to believe those things over what God says, well, then the, then the enemy can come right in. So that's the reason why the mind and all of those gates are so important. The conscience, uh, syndesis, and, I, and I'm probably not pronouncing that right, uh, but an example of that is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. However, not everyone has this knowledge, some being accustomed to the idol until now, eat the food as a thing offered to an idol, but their weak conscience is defiled. So there's that word again, syndesis. And that, that Greek word means knowing right from uh, wrong or their moral sensitivity. So your conscience is your internal filtering system in your body. It was designed by God to keep you out of trouble and out of danger. And it is very much individual, much like a, a, a fingerprint is individual to a person. Your conscience can be violated and eventually seared. 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 2 gives us that example. Uh, if you, it, let, let me read it and then I will, I will give you an analogy of kind of how that works, okay? Now the Spirit clearly says that in the last times, some will depart from the faith and pay attention to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron. The example, let me give you an example of how you, your conscience gets seared, okay? 
So let's take somebody who is addicted to pornography. They probably no longer have a sensitivity to watching it. And this, this can be a Christian. Maybe they don't have a sensitivity to watching it anymore. But let's think about maybe how this happened, okay? The first time they, they saw pornography, their conscience said, no, like alarm bells going off. And they somehow, they felt it was wrong. But they did it anyway. But then they keep going back to it. So the next time they go to it, instead of a loud no, it might be no. But this time it's not as loud. But they keep doing it. And they, and they, felt, they feel that it's wrong. So they keep going back. And eventually your conscience gets where it doesn't work anymore. It gets seared. And then you don't really see anything wrong with it. So that's the reason why your conscience is so important. Your spirit man, panuma in the Greek, and an example of that is John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit, or in this case the Holy Spirit, is spirit, panuma, or inner being. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes into your spirit, or panuma, your inner being, at salvation. This is where the Holy Spirit lives when you are born again. It is 100% pure at that point. And notice that Jesus made a reference to wind. Uh, Acts 2 verse 2 records that a mighty rushing wind came from heaven. Suddenly a sound like the, a mighty rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Notice here uh, that the, when Jesus appeared to the disciples prior to his ascension, he breathed on them in John 20 verse 22 and they received the Holy Spirit. And, he, and it says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, again, lives in your spirit, okay? This spirit man that is in you, once you get saved, the demons, again, they cannot dwell there, okay? Because that is that, that part of you is saved. And I'm saying that because I, I, want, to, I want to put all this together after I explain uh, the rest of the parts of the body. The next one is your soul, or pasuke. And an example of that can be found in Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul, Pasuke, is very sorrowful, even to death. Wait here and, and watch, keep watch with me. Okay, so your soul is where your emotions come from. So we've talked about like your mind, will, and emotions. Well, this is where your emotions come from. Think of it like this. In Matthew 26, 38 that we just read, it demonstrates emotion, and in this case, Jesus said that he was sorrowful. So he was demonstrating emotion from his soul. Other examples of emotions can be love, anger, sadness, you know, those kinds of things. Those, again, those come from your soul. In your soul is where, emotional, where emotions get stored. They can be good emotions or bad emotions. Um, and in this case, since we're talking about deliverance and how the demons get a foothold, how the devil gets a foothold... This is where that pain from that gets stored. So think of this pain from some emotional trauma that has happened as like a soul wound or a soul scar. Worldly methods like secular counseling, for example, can't fix these things. A lot of people tend to self-medicate with things like alcohol, drugs, sex, some sort of an addiction. And, and this, this temporarily suppresses the pain and the person feels better for a moment, but then they always come back and there's always a flare up. And what happens is that this person continues to self-medicate with these things. They become an addict. And this is a trick of the devil because he gets people to self-medicate and eventually the body gets used to this. It gets accustomed to that input. And, and then the body basically kind of goes into autopilot and the addiction just kind of runs on its own. And the Holy Spirit though, is the only one who can tr truly come in and heal these soul wounds. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with counseling or Christian counseling. Uh, 
It is very much needed. I would say it's very much needed, especially after deliverance. I think those two need to go hand in hand. Okay, and then the last one is the body or soma. An example of this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. What do you not know that your body, soma, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, and that you are not of your own? You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, or soma again, and in your spirit, which are God's. So here's the reason why I wanted to, to bring these up. Okay, so we again, we talked about the mind, the conscience, the spirit, the soul, and the body, the, these five parts. If you are saved, again, if you are born again, the Holy Spirit lives in your spirit. However, all the other parts, your mind, your conscience, your soul, and your body, can get demons in them. Because those things, the only one that is off limits, again, is your spirit. So we, we, we know from, from the previous example from the, the tabernacle, the demons can inhabit your, your soul and body. But your conscience and mind also plays a part in it. And that's why I wanted to bring those up is because there are, there are certain demons that can, that can reside actually in your mind. Now, it's not really so important to understand really where they, where they reside the most important thing here that I want to really drive home by pulling all this together is is that you can that a Christian can have a demon physically inside their body. It's just not in their spirit. And you can you can be saved and still have a demon. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that a Christian cannot have a demon. This is how through through these gates that we talked about and through through these various parts of the body, these are these are the kind of the entry points. Uh, some of these can be the entry points at which the demons come in. So, I hope this helps you to kind of have an understanding of open doors, and how how Christians can be afflicted with demons. And I think this concludes the podcast for for tonight. And I don't know what I'm going to do for next time. I'm going to have to see how God leads me on this. Um, I know that there are some other things that I want to do. Obviously, I want to cover soul ties. Those are very important. I want to, uh, obviously, at the very end of this particular series, I want to cover how how to actually get rid of, of, of the demons uh, because we have to lay this foundation, and at the very end of it is when you actually cast the demons out. Well, with that, that concludes this, uh, this particular podcast on Open Doors, and I wanted to thank you for... Uh, being part of this podcast. And if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to visit me at www.libertyfromcaptivity.com. You can go to the blog section about this and post any questions or comments you may have. And there is a contact me section in there as well if you want to send me an email and I would be happy to, to hear from you. Thank you so much and God bless you. Give me shelter, Lord, from me.
just to 